you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. I feel as uh, a representative of the group and somebody responsible for uh, this, uh, the proceedings this evening, I just want to feel like I should just check on everybody on all sides. Everybody in the back, safe and sound. Be sure to uh, take care of one another again tonight. And if it's cold, just get closer and stay warm. Uh, it's like, this is like a plane, right? Actually, like, well, Matt would be like the engines and Stone would be like the pilot. Stone and Jeff would be the pilots. Mike and I will be like your happy flight attendants. We'll get you peanuts and, and the exits are... Uh, but I would say you're not passengers, you are the fucking plane, so... Uh, let's... We'll take this thing up for a while. We'll bring it back down so you're safe in your car. Uh, we're in it together. Thanks for coming. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast this week we are going back to the backspacer tour tour we don't really cover all that often but when there's a request for it we are up for the challenge and this episode will be on bristow virginia this is essentially dc area and it does get big crowds but there is a couple of things that go along with this show that are a little perplexing that we can talk about like right off the top. However, a big thing that we're going to do in, in the beginning here is we're going to invite on a guest who has really just put himself out there in the Pearl Jam community and has done some great, wonderful things. As far as Pearl Jam podcasters go, he's one of the pioneers of just building and, and creating content and keeping it consistent and building excellent content as well. And we will talk to Brandon Palomo right off the top. So why don't we just get into that? Because Brandon's way more interesting than we could be. Randy Sobel over here. John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Let's do it. So real quick on Bristow, just to kind of like tee up the episode just a little bit. So the legend of this show that's been passed down was that the crowd and the band weren't really connected. You'll hear in spots here and there where Ed is trying to 
put in a little bit of extra motivation and and trying to get the crowd hyped a little bit more and it it didn't seem like from a lot of the crowd member standpoint it would come together in the end but it didn't really click in some spots and we'll get to some comments about that once we get into the question of the week but on that overall aspect what did you what did you kind of think of that I agree. It felt like, you know, I, I go into these things and I'm usually listening, you know, I'm listening for moments where that does happen, where the crowd and the band can kind of come together and meet and like elevate the band into these kind of transcendent performances that we talk about every week. And this one, it felt like that was lacking a little bit. And I don't know what it was like. There are some videos for the show. I got to watch a few of them. There's not a cohesive put together full show, which I think would help. You can tell Ed is really trying from the, almost from the very beginning to get them going. And there are some good crowd moments. They do like, you know, you're going to get a better man. You're going to get alive. You know, you're going to get why go in the encore and there's still going to be big moments but it felt like it was lacking like that really extra oomph that the crowd gives the band to really elevate a performance all right so we're going to get into that in a little while but first we're going to bring on brandon and really all hats go off to brandon here because he again has worked so hard to put out this content and we're going to find out all about his journey within doing better man podcast and you know the people that he's met and the stories that he's told and everything like that but think about it we on this podcast it's two of us on every other pearl jam podcast that there's been there's been two people doing it there's been two people doing the work brandon has thankfully had a ton of amazing guests that have helped him but he's been doing all this legwork himself. And that in itself just needs to be thanked and applauded right there. And Brandon, if you haven't heard, he is putting the Better Band podcast on hiatus for now. So we just want to give him his due a little bit. So here's our conversation with Brandon. Hope you guys enjoy it. Well, Brandon, we are at the point. We haven't had you on the podcast in a while. So uh, welcome. Welcome back, friend. It's good to talk to you, good to see you, and kind of now be on the other side of it since we aren't going to have any more opener episodes. Like, I can't open a season, and Live on Four Legs doesn't have any seasons, then this is just kind of somewhere (laughs) in the middle of the 220s. I think this is episode 228 or some shit. So, hey, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Just, you uh, you know... We were we were talking for about twenty minutes before we got into this, so you know exactly how it's going. Decapitator, yeah. all that. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, wait, you're here. Who's over there? Oh, oh, John is there. John is there hey somewhere. Hey, Brandon. What, what parking lot are you in, John? I'm in the parking lot of Muchachos in downtown Atlanta. Muchachos. I'm gonna guess that's a Mexican restaurant. I believe it is. Yes. But Brandon, it's it's awesome to talk to you. I am also bummed that we will no longer be able to do our weird songs that, that I like to do. But I, we did want to have you on to kind of do not a post-mortem because it's on hiatus, but to kind of give, get a chance to talk to you and give people a chance if they don't know the Better Band podcast to kind of give like an update. I know you're not doing the show anymore. You're going to take a break. Uh, we were scheduled to do Comatose and you were like, dude, I'm going to have to cancel. And I was like, something's up. Because he didn't say postpone. He said cancel. So I knew something was up. And then, yeah, the word came out. 
that you're going to be stopping. And you've done a ton of episodes, man. There's a whole catalog there. Uh, how do you feel about it now, looking back for a minute? I just want to let you know, Brandon, that the point of you being here is so we can kiss your ass. Yes. Because we know that you can't kiss your own ass. Like we can kiss our own ass. So we're here to kiss your ass. Ah, uh, you know, I've been getting into yoga though. So, I mean, there's, uh, always hoping there's a, there's a, not a brass ring to, to reach for more of a, a brown ring to reach for. I'm very that, sorry that, for taking it in that I, direction. I and censor uh, that. <laughs> that, that, that there, there's never been a line drawn, but that might be it. <laughs> You know what? I'm I'm feeling better now, sort of around the time when I was kind of deciding it and everything like that. I didn't feel as good about it and everything just because it's, you know, I feel like I'm letting the 10 listeners I have down. And uh, that's self-deprecating, of course, because I it's don't. It's nine, Brandon. Come on. It's nine. <laughs> you know it's nine. I, I, I don't check my stats and I never have checked my stats. But it's just, it's all about the talking to people and talking about Pearl Jam and all that sort of stuff. And I did feel sort of like I made a promise in the beginning of every episode where I say that I'm going through the whole catalog and everything. But it's kind of nice to just have a little bit more time to spend with my family and everything, which was kind of the, the, the whole reason and everything. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar, because of course, like we go back, this is almost five years now since we started and you started, I guess, a couple months after us, which I had gotten a message from you when we were like in our first or second month. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Because Porch Podcast kind of came in right after us. You came in right after us. Like, is this like, this is the dawning of all these Pearl Jam podcasts pointing up and like, you know, we thought it was just going to be us and single podcast theory for a while. And then everybody joins the crowd. We're like, okay, everybody brings a little something different to the table. But what I remember talking to you about very, very early on as to why you wanted to do the podcast was because you felt like when you went to shows, you felt a little shy to talk to people on lines and stuff like that. And this would be what you would hope to be your kind of breakout of that to actually talk to fans one-on-one where it's not in a public setting and things like that. So on that kind of idea, do you think that from all this time, cause you've had tons of guests on a lot of the same guests we have, cause you like to cherry pick from us, but tons of guests. And do you think that you've achieved what your goal was? Ultimately, that would be no, because everybody has to, you know, remember and realize that you try something once and you're probably not going to be an expert at it. And so you need to practice and you need to do the work and you need to repeat your steps over and over again. And you'll find out that things start getting easier and you have to keep up with it. If you want to keep that same level, that same prowess that you have developed in yourself. And so there would be times when between seasons and everything like that, like I would feel 
if I wasn't talking to somebody every week or so, that I felt that every time I restarted recording again for the season that I lost a step because I did, because I wasn't in practice of talking and being comfortable with people and everything. And and with this, I don't think that, that I'm going to keep that snappiness just because it's it's just the way things are. And so I guess I'm going to have to, I don't know, talk to people at work or something. Or <laughs> well, I mean, look at it, like, I think you're kind of like not taking the credit that you deserve, you know, like look at the people that you've conversed with. Like it, John and I here, I feel like we're probably the two, the ones that kind of converse with you the most. And, and then you have like Aurelian and Patrick and, you know, again, guys that you steal from us, of course. And, you know, other people that are within the community that is, see you, like they know you and they communicate with you. And, I feel like from that aspect, it seemed to me that you have made an impact on enough people and made enough people want to listen to what you have to say that I think you accomplished that. I think that you got to break out of your comfort zone. And this is essentially, I think you wanted to meet some friends, which is not far off of what I wanted to do initially with, with what we were doing. I, I wanted to meet a bunch of new people and make sure that I never went to a show alone again kind of thing. But I think that that's something that you accomplished. I don't know if you're giving yourself enough credit for it. Well, I mean, there are accomplishments and everything along the way. And, you know, and I'm proud of the work that I've done and I'm, glad that i've been able to talk to people and kind of make friends out of this and everything and i can edit with the best of them even though it takes a long time for me to do it but that's kind of just because the uh, standards i'm holding myself to i hold myself to high standards because that's the rare weird little narcissism part of depression that's in there that's <laughs> doesn't make any sense but i will say too i was always impressed with you Brandon, like the research that you did and trying to make it not just a Pearl Jam podcast, because, you know, what we do is we talk about live shows and there's a lot of stuff to dig into there. But you're talking about, you know, studio versions of songs and there's a lot to go into. You can go off on tangents. You I mean, your podcast was, yes, it was a Pearl Jam podcast, but it was also a Simpsons podcast and a mental health podcast and a podcast about friends and a podcast about life and like all these different things that you would listen to a podcast about a song and like you would end up somewhere completely different than like just talking about the song. And I want to ask you in a minute what some of your favorite episodes were for like people who are just starting or want to get into it. But some of my favorite stuff that I've done, like we did the bugs episode. My son got to be on a podcast. With my son, <laughs> you know, bugs. He was like three years old. Thanks for going on gonna, another like, podcast before before you threw him on your own podcast. Right. Uh, the long road episode where we played guitar and like got to do that, and then the light years episode where we got like super honest, and deep, and like talked about some things that I don't usually like to talk about on on podcasts. But I want to just like again thank you for like giving me the opportunity, and I know Randy feels the same way. All the people that that listen and got a chance to be on. What would be some of your favorite episodes? Not with Randy and I, but 
you know some of your other favorite episodes that you would recommend to people? I, I want to know. I want to know what your favorite episode with with me is. Like, I, I, again, that goes back to the whole narcissism thing. But you answer however you feel comfortable answering. Well, no, I think that you kind of touched on it when you talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago. Were like our breaker fall episode. I think yeah. it, it wasn't something that I had been thinking about, but it's just sort of like in our conversation, I was just kind of like, oh, you know what? Hey. I'm developing this concept that everything on binaural is sort of a mirror image or something like that. Everything has a companion song on this. What if Breakerfall is about a breakup and it's sort of a companion piece to Parting Ways or something like that? We just sort of went there with it. And in talking with different people about songs, they have their own interpretations and stuff. And just hearing other people's experiences and thoughts on life and everything like that is just important to be a well-rounded human being that can operate in the world and not be a, you know, dick and (laughs) want to force everybody to your point of view. There was the education episode. You had Lula for that, right? Yeah. I haven't listened to that yet, but that sounds awesome. Yeah. Just kind of getting weird and talking in there about like the state of education you know, in our country and stuff like that, public education. There was the Off He Goes episode. I talked with Andrew Plath, and he's a therapist in real life. You know, we were kind of talking about life and having friends and mental health and stuff like that, I think, in that episode. And the deep ones I like. Hey, yeah, and the silly ones. Let me think of, like, one last thing to kind of ask you on this now i i I feel like you always asked people on your show pretty early on you asked this or to whoever was new in later seasons you asked uh, what does pearl jam mean to you i want to ask you something very similar but in kind of a different context of where you're sitting now what does pearl jam mean to you now that you've went through and studied the scope of their history you have this larger knowledge base and a bigger bond to them than you did four years ago it's like i say in in my intros you can't find a better band oh come on (laughs) come on that's not very introspective damn it it is pretty much the same i think it's Something that is awesome and I love and all that other sort of stuff. And I think that just like anything else in your life and everything, it shouldn't be your life. It shouldn't be the reason you get out of bed. It's ultimately just a band and hopefully you have people in your life. You know, it's about the people that you meet along the way with the Pearl Jam, whether, you know, going to concerts or having people in your life where it's kind of like, oh, you know, Pearl Jam was a song at our wedding or something. It's a connection, hopefully, that's there between people that you can follow it to. And maybe it's a strong bond or it's just a sort of introduction. It's not just Pearl Jam. Like, it's everybody that makes this a community is what makes Pearl Jam. And you might go back and 
and look at the records and look at the songs and be like, yeah, well, we've talked about all these songs. This is this and this, but my favorite songs are still what my favorite songs were way back from the beginning. But I think it's just, you know, now people know who you are. They interact with you in the community they obviously listen to your podcast it's more than 10 people i know that for a fact or else you wouldn't have had that that many guests on because they all listen to what you were doing i guess what i mean here is like overall together just the community and bonding with the community you know you and i were were in sacramento and we were kind of in a very shitty situation and you know we got together with like 10 15 other people and sat down to have a meal and it was kind of our you know coping mechanism that everybody was able to be together it was a shit situation not going to the show but we were all able to be there and kind of laugh and smile and keep each other company you know like personally for i feel for myself that those experiences within the community have enhanced my love for everything as more than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Because I, I, I chose it. Pearl Jam is special and everything, but I mean, if people are out there and, and listening and stuff, it's kind of like, you know, you can do that with anything. And it's sort of like, you know, there's ton of tons of people who do it with sports, you know? I mean, it's sort of like, oh, you know, get together and, Go and root for the team and, you know, meet the people and except, sort of Except in the Pearl Jam and, community, you don't have a lot of people, you know, when a team loses breaking a TV or something like that. Like, that, <laughs> that's what I love about music over sports is that nobody fucking loses. Everybody wins at the end of the day. Even if a band, and not just Pearl Jam, but any band that you're seeing live, even if their performance is like, eh, it was okay you still won because you still went out there and fucking saw music. Like you have a 50, 50 shot of going to a baseball game and being happy. Why do I chance my happiness based off of this one team that I have no control over, but with music, like something is going to hit you in the right way and you're going to be able to find that. And there's not a lot of shows that I come out of with a frowny face for, you know, I I think as long as the, Concert doesn't get shut down in the middle or <laughs> something like wow. that. that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, Brandon, this is, I suppose, for lack of better terms, your gold watch coming on and talking to us and having kind of like a, a thank you farewell. Is there anything that you have to say to the people before we we say goodbye and you're hanging out in the community listening to podcasts more than you're creating them? Coming from you, that means everything. Uh, Bullshit. Because <laughs> I know, I know it means nothing because you said it means everything. So I know it means nothing. No, no, no. I'm real glad that I took this plunge in the first place. Even though you know, if I do think that I think ultimately failed or whatever, it's the fact that I tried. Even though, as Homer says, trying is the first step towards failure. Yeah, had to throw that's, it. that's the one yeah, scene that we were like just about to wrap this up and we get the <laughs> one Simpsons reference. <laughs> Not um, shocked in the least. You got to try and things ending is a part of life and it is just what happens and 
it's what you do. And so why not try to have a huge pile of failures that you can climb on top of and reach for the stars instead of a life where you never tried anything, then you can say, well, at least I don't have a big, gross garbage pile in my life, I guess. You know, just again, just reaffirming here for you that like what you did was important and you will still be treated as such as somebody that brought joy into this community. I better be. Well, now you're getting all narcissist <laughs> on us. I thought you were the one that was kind of put myself in the spotlight now. But in all seriousness, like you pushed us. I can't speak for anybody else, but you pushed us to be better. I know that for sure. You pushed us to think about songs in different light. And, you know, I know for a fact that things that we talked about, things that I heard you talk to others about, we brought it into our episodes and, and had a new outlook on them. And that is important. And again, you did all this shit yourself. You talk to somebody every week, but you did the editing, you did the horrid, hard social media, and I'm sure you're thrilled you don't have to do social media <laughs> anymore. Oh, yes. Oh, no more Twitter is, is a blessing. Yeah, but, you know, everything in between, like, what you did mattered. So, your gold watch... A big thank you once again, and I hope that anybody that's our listeners out there go, can go back to listen to your archives, which are where? Do you want to share your Substack right now? Yeah, you can go to, it's it's a newsletter, basically, Brandon P, B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P dot Substack dot com. I um, should also probably put my website and uh, betterbandpod.com pointing there too in case people are still looking for stuff and I got all the all the episodes there that you can download still because it's free so that's the uh, the big <laughs> that, that's that's that, that was a selling point for me well thank you sir and I can't wait until the monkeypox and mosh pits book comes out I'll be the first one <laughs> online to be in the meet and greet so thanks man and uh we'll keep in touch and uh all that and you do yeah. have my address you do have my address for the watch right um it's a it's a figurative watch this interview's over every time you talk to brandon it's going to be entertaining so that again it was great hearing from him he's a good friend of both of ours and both of us have gotten to be on every season of better band podcast. And that was, yeah, it was just, it was just great to talk to a friend. Yeah. I don't think that's the last you'll hear of him on the show. Probably not. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we jump into the question of the week this week, which was, and it kind of goes into the point that we sort of teed up at the beginning here as kind of the show went along. It did seem like there was a disconnect with the crowd and the band, Ed seemed to struggle with that. And what I asked everybody was if there had been a show that they had been to personally or heard on bootleg where they felt, okay, yeah, this crowd is a little bit of a letdown. Like 
a little disappointed, a little disappointed at their reaction, and and maybe it wasn't as good as another crowd. And so we got some good answers on that. And to start with that, I think I'm going to go over people's recollection of the Bristow show at first. So this one was from Dave Manick. He said he was at this show. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but that was a very low energy night, very cold. For me, I pointed to the fact that they didn't play Corduroy, which I've always felt is a must-have in the set, specifically somewhere in the first seven or eight songs. And right there is one of the very, very early points that I have from this show. Nothing wrong with having Brain of Jay and Save You in that top little spot, but there needs to be at least one of those big mainstay songs. Animal, Hail Hail, Corduroy, Last Exit. Like, those, to me, are the holy four of early Pearl Jam sets. And you can add in some others here and there. And I think Brandon J and Savior are probably tier two of that. But Worldwide Suicide and, and Got Some, yeah, Got Some to the new song, Worldwide Suicide is just kind of coming off of that album. So Got Some is at least fresh, but it doesn't feel like a true Pearl Jam start. It's definitely missing something. I agree. There's like... There are those songs, you know, the ones you mentioned, plus like, you know, you could say Do the Evolution, Why Go, there's a lot of stuff off of Ten and Verses, but I think that it's missing that big get the crowd going energetic song early. Totally agree with that. But I also don't think that was that uncharacteristic for shows in 2009, 2010. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they were kind of mixing in some stuff here and there, but yeah, yeah very weird not to have corduroy in a set uh, like that specifically kind of stuck out this is from greg right here said that show was my 35th show on my 30th birthday it was a different one i remember it being unseasonably cold elderly woman didn't get much of a reaction to start or maybe it doesn't fit anyway and all those yesterdays elicited such a reaction that ed had to make a comment about it and yeah that was really strange in a way because they go into all those yesterdays it was only the 12th time that it had been played and the crowd is finally erupting they're finally going crazy for something and ed's like oh it's that that's what you're going crazy about and then he said at the end like oh well you know maybe we'll have some more weird ones up our sleeve and and they never pulled them out yeah, that was weird. Uh, it felt like th- this would have been that show where, like, you get those shows where it's more of a combative air in the crowd. Like, okay, you think you can handle that? Here you go. And, you know, maybe they'll pull out something crazy and then it can kind of come together into something else. But, yeah, that didn't happen either. Why don't we go one more from this topic here? And this is from Chris Bigelow, one of our patrons. He said he was there and agree. Crowd wasn't that into it. The venue on a weeknight is very tough. Because it could be two hour plus drive from DC in traffic. And I guess the stories out of this too were getting out of the venue is apparently a big nightmare. I was reading the fan views on the forum and one person's like, it's 645. I just got back. Hmm. Like that's that's a little insane. I don't know if that was kind of pushing the envelope, but who knows? But it said when combined with cool weather, it wasn't an ideal night. And again, all those yesterdays was great. So that's pretty much right there. Those three comments are kind of define how people felt about this in in total. I had one from the Facebook group from Tanya Kang, who did the Pearl Jam Fan Portraits book, which you should all check out. She said she was there, liked the show because they played Bernard Jay, 
But I will say that the crowd was not that good overall and that her friends had a, quote, horrible experience due to the crowd. So, yeah, I think four is, is a trend. I think, you know, this show, you mentioned it's got a reputation and the reputation precedes it here for good reason. Yep. So what else you got from Facebook? There were some a lot of very interesting ones. They mixed yeah. them up a little bit. Mark Kirby went way back to 1994 to Louisville, says that crowd was so quiet and sparse, in my opinion. The venue only holds about 6,000 and the place was barely half full. Rumors that ticket brokers bought up most of the tickets and were asking $100 plus for a ticket. Not sure if that was true or not, but that was the Ticketmaster era. He says they really enjoyed the show, but that show stands out to me as being a boring crowd. Yeah, that's not what I've, I've dug into. And I guess that's yeah. probably around the time of Murfreesboro that we did last week. Right. Probably right. in that same week. So yeah. Gabe Spies says Hershey 2003 didn't feel like it while sitting in the crowd, but uh, the bootleg makes it clear that the band wasn't feeling us that night at all. Didn't help that they'd just driven 10 hours from Boston after playing the Mansfield Experiment show the night before, which is a good point. Yeah, and I think that's well, been passed remember. around, too, that people kind of notoriously said. And this one kind of breaks the rule, too, almost, because that's a second-to-last night of at least the U.S. run. Mexico could be the, the closing of the tour, if you want to say that. But mm-hmm. Hershey definitely did not really live up to that kind of expectation that those shows had. And Hamdel was the one that people took out of that more that were like, oh, well, this is the big one right here. Yeah, there are some things that happened in that show. The mosquito bite bit, like Mm -hmm. that's a little kind of cringeworthy looking at that now. I agree with that. It wasn't the best. But I do love how after they opened with Love Boat Captain, they go into the show by saying, fuck this fucking chocolate factory. Mm -hmm. So... I'll do one more. I've got Brad Arendale. He's got a notorious one. Sydney Night 2 in 2006 had a really, quote, crap crowd despite a full arena and great show the night before. Ed commented that it felt like church and I just felt embarrassed. And he says there's an official photo taken from the back of the floor during Baba with the house lights on. He says he's in the front row, airborne with his fist in the air, but you can see people just standing and talking to each other. Mm. Yeah, never good. Yeah. And, you know, I'm surprised that there haven't been more shows in sort of the cell phone era where everybody's taking cell phone video and on their phones and stuff like that, where Ed has looked out into the ground and be like, you get off your phone. I'm like kind of surprised that's never happened. There's no way. I mean, it's just a, it's a lost cause at this point. I mean, there I was a time when you could get away with that, probably like 2007, 2008, when it was just starting, when iPhones just came out. But now, I mean, you I mean you saw the shows from last year, like there's 5,000 cell phones out anytime anything happens. So he, right. he's, he, he's given up at this point. Right. And he's kind of embraced it with songs saying, uh, put the put the fireflies up and all that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it happens. There are like one or two other interesting ones on Facebook. Uh, let's read Brian Cohen's because we talked about Mansfield just now, but he said... This is controversial. My first show was Mansfield 3. Left pumped, but still a little disappointed as I expected way more energy from both the band and the crowd. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very that's energetic high show. bar. Yeah. Uh, they were out there for three plus hours. I don't know what else you want from them, you know? Right. Right. But he said... A couple of years later, I went to the Hartford shows, and that made me open up my eyes to how low the energy was in Mansfield. I chalk it mostly up to the band being exhausted near the end of a long, long tour. 
I mean, he was there, and we can't take away his interpretation of it at all. But boy, it does not come off that way. Yeah, I would. I would have questions. All right, I think we are ready to get into covering the show. The one thing that we want to do before really digging into that is we're actually going to kick off with our gear guru segment here because Javier was really interested in talking about this. He said, you know, just for the era and how the sound and what they were using on the board, it was very generic. It was very compressed. It was very kind of tinny. He wanted to kind of share his thoughts on that before going into some of the songs. So you kind of know what to expect here. So here's Javi talking about the overall sound of the show. Hello, Randy. Hello, John. Hello, everyone on the podcast for this week. We are covering Bristol, Virginia, or the Jiffy Lube show, whatever you can find it on uh, streaming platforms. Let's start the conversation this week with major changes happening when it comes to sound for this tour. If you start to look back 2000, 2003, 2006, you kind of find like a trend line. When you hear this band live, it's a lot about the blend, like different equipment. So you want to get that blend live. In 2010, specifically for this tour, this approach was completely changed. The equipment that they were using around that time, it, it didn't allow that. It, everything is extremely similar. They were going for more like that mid-range, very focused, compressed sound. A lot of Savage amps, a lot of Boxes amps, uh, Marshalls, although they always have used Marshalls, but they always, like I said before, they're always trying to look for a blend. Even when I was looking for some footage to see if I can get specific uh, models and all that stuff. Even Stone on his Vox AC30, he takes kind of like the Jimi Hendrix approach, which is super, all knobs, they go up to 10, which is going to give you this very, very present um, focus, compress, mid-range sound. I thought that that was something very interesting to mention this week, since this is the major break in that line that we have had since probably 1998. Board-wise, the boards are the same. There were no major changes coming from the 2009-2010 tour. On 2011, though, that's where the boards suffer major changes when it comes to pedals, the signal, and all that stuff. This is a really good topic to kick off our week because when you hear the show, you're going to hear that it's very, very, very different to the previous tours. Big thanks goes out to you, Javier. And Javier... Just became one of my best friends. He's been a good friend, but now he's one of my best friends because over a couple of days ago, he was just like, Hey, when are you going to Seattle? All right, I'm going to see if I can take off. And now Javier is going to be in our pack in Seattle. So okay. that's awesome. And can't wait to see him there. It's going to be a really, really fun time. I can't wait for it. So, and a uh, big thank you goes out to Ari Lambropolis for pitching this one. Ari has been a patron for a while. And it had been a while before he had given us a request. And because he's been loyal and dedicated and, and he's been into it, we decided to push up his show and, and get it going from the early onset. So just a big thank you goes out to Ari. Unfortunately, we don't have a story of his right now, but maybe in another week we can end up sharing it. So, okay, here's the opener. It's small town in a, I guess, small town of Bristow, Virginia. I seem to recognize your face. Oh. 
to this bootleg it might be tough to tell because they can mix things really well they can make the crowd sound better and you can't really get that overall feel you can when you have the video and you have both aspects and you're paying attention to both but just the audio itself really tough you listen to this and yeah you've heard better crowds but you can't tell that this is a crowd that's just not gonna be all there this night when Small Town's an opener, you know, when I'm listening to it, I'm waiting to get to the hello scream, and I'm expecting to be blown away and, like, get the chills and be like, oh, this is going to be one of those nights. But this one didn't feel like it had it. It felt like, you know, when you open with Small Town, you know, it's obviously you, you hit on it, like, Bristow, Virginia, probably a very small town, probably a suburb. But this felt like it, it should have been bigger than it was. Yeah, I get that with the hello part. Usually when you hear it, it feels like it's almost like in surround sound. If it's an arena, you can feel it coming from all sides. But this is a amphitheater with the lawn, the grass in the back. And apparently it's massive, too. So the seats go pretty far back, and then the grass goes pretty far back where you can't really see much behind that. So I wonder if that sound just wasn't captured very well. That's true. You know, I think, um, don't quote me on this, but I believe they do put a microphone at the mixing board in the middle of the crowd to mix yeah. it the audio. And I wonder if there was maybe something off of it was a weird location, not something where it normally was or anything could have affected yeah. that. Yeah, perhaps. And that would make sense because there are individual people that you hear in the show oh, pretty yeah. prominently. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. But outside of like Boom's little flourishes in this, this is a pretty average version. And if that's going to kick off your show, then we're going to get into the four that we kind of discussed a little while ago Worldwide Suicide, Got Some, Brain a J, and Save You. Before Worldwide Suicide, you can hear him say, we're going to try and generate some heat here with some fast ones. Keep moving, keep moving. And that's kind of a quote just dedicated to the weather and how cold it is. And I think that might have had a lot to do with just people and the participation there because it's May. You're not anticipating it to be that cold. Hopefully you can get something in like the 60s, 70s or something like that down there. But yeah, apparently it wasn't the night for that. Yeah, and that might have affected the guitars, too. You know, we've, we talked about the Ice Bowl show and how, you know, any breeze with cold air can knock a guitar out of tune. There's a few times in this show where there's a little bit of a guitar hiccup, like a little bit of a wrong note, something's out of tune. I wonder if, if that had something to do with that as well. Worldwide Suicide has one. Yeah, I think Brandon J and Save You both have them, too. Mm-hmm. I guess on that kind of point, yeah, there are hiccups in there. And Brandon J just didn't feel like it had that bite to it. It felt almost like that intro was palm muted a little bit. It started too fast, I think. Yeah, it was janky, and I think Ed came in too early. So it just hindered the first part of the song. I'm going to give a lot of credit to Stone, and I have a thought about Stone's solo in this, which was excellent. Excellent. 
mention something later in the show that they went and saw PIL at the 930 Club, which kind of led me to think that Stone's solo in this sounded a little bit like God Save the Queen. Did you get that vibe? Hmm. No, I didn't catch that. A little bit of that? Maybe. Could have been a little influence there. But just very good. Like, that kind of saved the song. And, you know, unfortunately, like, Save You Again is not this big, full rocker of a version. It really felt like in that bridge part where everything's kind of quieted down and Ed needs everybody to clap their hands. He's saying, let's all get in sync here. Let's all get in rhythm. And yeah, it works after he says something, but you're forcing the participation. And that's kind of a bad sign right from the start. Yeah, and it kind of kills the momentum of the song too, because like he's doing the bass part and Jeff is just kind of going and he just kind of stops almost and like takes a long time to kind of get everyone going. Like, like I said, trying to get them moving, trying to like encouraging them. All right, let's go, let's go. The weather is a good call, but for whatever reason, yeah, it, it felt like it just killed the momentum of the song. And because like save you, it's like it's a fast rocker, it needs that energy, it needs to keep that energy high, and this one didn't have it. All right, Ed says, I feel as a representative of this group and as somebody responsible for the proceedings of this evening, I feel like I should just check on all of you on all sides, mostly talking all the way back out onto the grass. If it's cold, just get closer and stay warm. This is like a plane. Matt would be the engines. Stone and Jeff would be the pilots. Mike and I will be like the happy flight attendants. We'll get you peanuts. We'll show you where the exits are. But I would say that you aren't passengers. You're the fucking plane. We'll take this thing up for a while and we'll bring it back down. But we're all in this together. That right there makes me think that this is more of a motivational speech than a pandering speech. If you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. This is. Yeah. Come on, everybody. Like you're you're the plane. We need you to fly. Absolutely. He's trying to let them know, like, hey, I need some energy off you. If we're going to get this thing to where it needs to go, we all got to be in, like you said, all got to be in this together. So, and Ed always wears his emotions on his sleeve. You always know how he's feeling. And there's those little cues in this to let you know, like, yeah, he's definitely like reaching out and trying to get something out of this crowd. And that's not to say that it's their fault. You know, if I was there and it was, you know, 40 degrees or whatever, I'm going to be hard pressed to be jumping around doing that too if I'm like, you know, way in the back or doing whatever. I I get it. But this is a band that needs that. And when they don't have it, it like you said, it's going to affect the show. Right. There's no light show or screen in the back that's going to save them and kind of pop eyes and ears and things like that. No, it's yeah. it's they are playing. You're reacting to the music. That's what everybody's there for. So, yeah, it all kind of needs to work in conjunction with one another. But this is getting into giving a fly and I don't know if you remember this, but I think this is the second time in covering shows this year where we have an airplane reference going into Given a Fly. Did you notice mm-hmm. that? Yeah, it sounded familiar, but I don't recall the other one. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was the same exact thing, but essentially cut from the same cloth. And I, mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and find out at like Toronto 2000 is ringing a bell. Not sure if that's the right one, okay. but that crowd to me never sounded like this. It sounded, you know, pretty good the whole entire time. So I don't know. I don't know what the intention was for that one, but given a fly and present tense are packaged here together, given a fly sounds really good. And it feels like the band is kind of getting over those little kinks that they had in the first couple songs. And I think that given a fly with a really good crowd would have been a very, very good version. 
and present tense with a really good crowd would have been a great version. It, it does have a very quick false start on present tense, and it is looking for that camaraderie. And again, he's prompted. He's saying, "What you got? What you got?" And again, it feels like other crowds would have just went for it themselves. Yeah, in a different time and place in Bristow, maybe this would have been better. But, you know, I still think Given to Fly into Present Tense into Down is one of the better parts of the show. I mean, it's hard to take Given to Fly and make it sound bad. Like, it is one of their best songs, and it's going to hit that wave that you needed to hit. But, yeah, this little section here, I mean, probably, you know, you're going Yield, No Code, Riot Act, P-Side. That's right in my wheelhouse. So, you know, in Present Tense, the band feels like they're starting to play and they're starting to get after it. In present tense, like the bridge has that little extra push. And it really does feel like the band is pushing themselves in order to try to push the crowd a little more too. So I wonder if there's a little bit of that in there. And it, and it will work. It will work at some point. But it's still marinating. It's still figuring itself out. Between present tense and, and the down section, it says, as much as the song talks about present tense, it's also good to know about the past. As Kurt Vonnegut said, they asked him if he learned from his mistakes, and he said, absolutely. I absolutely can repeat every one of them the exact same way at any single time. And then it brings up an author, when you think about history, because this song, Down, was inspired by him, Howard Zinn. They lost him back in January. And his hope that he instilled in all that knew him and that read him still lives on. And I think this was another thing that MSG would come along in a couple of days, maybe a week after this, and he would do another really nice Howard Zinn moment. I think it was, I'm open into unthought known. So this is going to be down into unthought known. And then we're going to get into insignificance. Really two uplifting poppy songs preaching positivity that work really well together. And I went and I looked in either direction, Unthought Known First, Down First, whatever have you, and it's been played like eight or nine times. So that's a decent amount for two songs, at least Down, that doesn't get played all the time. And Unthought Known, really, this is the era for it. So yeah, I, I like this little positivity section, which will get me into another point in two seconds when we get into insignificance. Yeah, that's a good point because, like, you've gone kind of soaring with given a fine present tense, and then you're going to go lighten the mood a little bit with Down and Unthought Known. Yeah, I thought Unthought Known was good. It's a good place for it. And again, it's probably the song on Backspacer that kind of took off and kind of became something more than the sum of its parts live. So, good spot to bring it here as well. Yeah, and I thought that the momentum kind of took a weird swing for a second because what you're going to have following Insignificance is even flow. And I really thought that you're playing two big positive songs that you should go into more of like a positive finish to that section. And it should have been even flow following up on the two, but instead it's Insignificance, which is more of a darker song, a tense mm. song. And it didn't flow very well after those two is the performance i loved it the performance was very good they rocked out hard at the end and they were really trying to work the crowd and get something out of them but also insignificance is not for every crowd is it going to be the crowd pleaser so you go to even flow here after two big positive ones maybe you've rubbed them up a little bit and maybe you've kind of created a little bit of momentum a little bit of juice to play off of 
Maybe, yeah. I mean, if you're putting, like, given to fly positive, present tense positive, down positive, unthought positive, insignificance negative, and then even flow, you know, you're kind of breaking that up a little bit. That is a little weird. But insignificance, too, I think it's probably a good time to mention, like, they played one song off of every album to date at this point. Binaural, Right Act, No Code, they all got at least one. And I wonder if that was something that was done on purpose, like, hey, tonight we're going to make sure we hit every album. It felt like Insignificance might have been jammed in there a little bit where it normally wouldn't have been the spot for it, maybe a light years or something there. But the performance itself, I thought was was good. I thought after the break, I thought the bridge was really good. It was kind of had that kind of floating, airy quality to it with Stone and Matt. But yeah, I I agree. A a weird spot in between on Thought Note and Even Flow. That kind of led to an even flow that, you know, same with some of the other stuff that we heard earlier with like small town, given a fly where it doesn't have a massive crowd reaction. Usually when you get to the even flow moment, that's going to be something where everyone's like, okay, let's go. Like, especially if you have, you know, down, which is a B side, you're thinking of your casual fans here might not know down unthought known new song but it's not the fixer or got some so it's not a single might not know it as well insignificance binaural probably not going to know that but once you hit even flow everybody should be erupting on this and i wonder if the placement for insignificance kind of put a damper on what could have been a momentum making moment in even flow and from reading the forums and stuff like that people were just like it didn't work for this crowd which is very strange yeah and you can hear mike really tries best to put on a show on this oh yeah it it felt like a very kind of flashy solo like he i I picture him like you know right up to the front stage pulling out all the tricks and trying to get some sort of reaction kind of putting this the show on his back but yeah, it didn't feel as, as big as even flow normally is. Yeah, the performance, and again, for most of these performances from here on out, they're very good. They're very good. The band sounds good, but it's a two-way street. You need the crowd to react in order for the band to have that chemistry and put it all together. And the song performance is good, but you know, it's no fun playing in a dark room by yourselves. That's not what happens here, of course. There are fans in attendance. I recognize that. But that's essentially compared to the other crowds that they're going to get. Listen to the next five or six shows. It's going to be Hartford. That's a big crowd. They were loud that night. Then Boston, I believe, is after Hartford. Boston was really loud. Newark, New Jersey, which is, again, you're mixing in the Philadelphia and New York crowd there. That's going to be a good crowd. And then two at the Garden that were both phenomenal so yeah, yeah those are all like quote-unquote big shows where yeah. they were able to to make those moments and those shows have plenty of moments this one just didn't feel like it had them not a lot of them that's for sure and really after even flow they're gonna go right into comatose and ed's gonna tee that up by saying that's mike mccurdy on the fender stratocaster this is what he sounds like on a gibson les paul 59 going into comatose is that weird to play a Les Paul on Comatose? Not necessarily. I mean, there are plenty of punk rock bands that use Les Pauls. They have a great sound to them. Didn't seem weird. I mean, Les Pauls are known for being, like, full, and I think it's fine. But, you, you know, you just mentioned, like, oh, there's a lot of really good performance. I thought Comatose was very rough. Awesome. Um, this was, yeah, this was showed bad. a lot of rust, maybe, but didn't feel like they were all on the ball in this one. No, yeah, no, this was definitely the exception to 
to this rule that yeah. the performances were good. Once we get faithful after faithful, you're you're gonna get a lot of good stuff here. But yeah, this is not a perfect live song after 2006. Say what you will about down tuning it and having that change. Ed forgets the pieces to it. I guess if he's not playing this every night, he's not in a groove with it. And that would come into play a lot later than this. Once you get into Lightning Bolt Tour and that Fenway 2018 version, which just that one is just a big question mark and a big red flag. Hey, they haven't brought it back since then. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's a haphazard version, sloppier side. But however, that's going to get you into a double dose of yield and sneaky here, but this is the third and fourth yield song of the set. And once we get to the closer, which is do the evolution, you got five yield songs in the main set. That's that's excellent. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. They'll do that occasionally. You know, they're matching backspacer and ten. So you know, you're getting those three albums were are dominating the set here. But any anytime lots of yield gets played, it's a good night. Of course, yeah. So in the beginning, again, this is another thing. Ed is still trying to extend that hand. And the beginning of Faithful, you guys are out there, right? Just checking. There's a little lingering frustration at this point. And I don't blame him because, again, performances have been great, but you want something to happen. You want to cook something up and it was a tougher run to get there, but faithful sounds very, very good. And all those yesterdays is excellent as well. I love getting the rarity to follow up on faithful, like faithful, I guess it would be more the uncommon section of yield, but yesterdays is this is your rare one for the night. And it's actually interesting here because when the crowd reacts to all those yesterday, this is like the crowd wake up moment. Maybe when they react to it, Ed's like, Oh, okay. I get it. Don't you think you want to rest? I think that's a response to them not reacting to anything else and then ed's gonna say after the song you guys like the weird ones i get it it felt like you needed a, a dirty frank or something to really get the diehards in the in the crowd going something out of left field right yeah again but just like given the flying presidents i thought this section here faithful and all those yesterdays and then what's gonna come immediately after i think is again a real highlight of this set here. I thought Faith, Faithful was excellent. And yesterday's too, again, it starts a little bit rough, again, maybe due to they had played it all year. But the ending I thought was absolutely great. I thought Mike really did a great job with the solo at the end. And two really good versions. Again, you're two of the rarest ones from Yield to Get. You know, Faithful's been played barely a hundred times. So I thought this part was really, really good. And then you're getting a, a big one to follow up, which I think finally kind of lives up to the moment. Yeah, Mike on this version is a highlight of all those yesterdays here. Yeah. Like, there's little things. It's not just the ending. There's little things that happen, like his chord strums that kind of happen during the verses have a little bit of like a wah-wah effect to them. And that really stands out here. You know, we kind of talked about how it was a little bit of a generic sound up until this point. It kind of felt a little condensed, but that at least gave something that stood out a little bit, something that reverberated a little bit more. And if you listen closely, this is like an ASMR thing here. 
Mike is doing the backups here and he's doing them really, really low. It feels like it's in that part of the year where somebody's whispering in your ear. It's all those yesterdays. And he just keeps doing it for a couple lines. I'm like, oh, okay. I see what you're doing here. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but that is like an ASMR thing that I'm hearing. The solo, excellent, picks up a lot of the pace at the end. One of the highlights of the night for sure. And then Ed's reacting to this positive crowd response here. And he's saying, we're paying attention up here. Is this the kind of shit that you're into? Like, the weird stuff? All right, this one you've heard before, but we're going to start fucking it up after this. And they didn't. I wouldn't say it was conventional setlist-wise, but they didn't go back to something super ultra-rare. And I wonder, you know, looking at the setlist, and I think it, it pretty much went chalk as it was. Maybe it was like one or two switches of a cover or something like that. But it's tough to just on the fly be like, hey, what rare one that we haven't practiced yet can we put in this show? And I can get the mood backstage in like the encore or something like that where the guys are like, let's just go by the book on this. We're not feeling pretty good out here. It's, it's cold. Let's just go with what the assignment was. Yeah. And like I said, you wonder if, because that that's the moment, right? After the encore break, we're going to go back and you're going to be like, let's run through something crazy and see if we can get something out of this. Like a Dirty Frank would have been a perfect example because that's something that everyone's going to remember, like a leash or something. But yeah, I think you're right. I think they realized that they were kind of fighting an uphill battle with the weather and the crowd. So yeah, keep it into it and do your best and get out there and hit them with what you got. And Black is going to be just that right now. And I think this is exactly what the right recipe was for everybody getting in sync and getting on the same page. There's some moments in here like given the crowd the i'm spinning moment they nail that it feels like there are a lot of obvious moments in the song it feels like it's played exactly like every version of black is but i feel like you need this comfort food almost for the crowd to react and say all right like this is one that we were here to see and then you can hear almost a shot for shot here with the, with the crowd doing the i'm spinning Ed kind of playing it up, holding out that that beeline really long on that too. And it really sounded like he cracked his voice in the beginning. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way he can go for as long as he did, but he did. And it was very impressive. I think I don't want to say it's at least like 15 or 20 seconds. It's, it's at least 15, yeah. Yeah. 
The thing that stuck out to me on this one was the little We Belong Together improv. He goes off on like this desolation, concentration. He kind of like takes off and does a little improv thing, which is always very cool. Yeah, I really, really like this version of Black, one of, one of the highlights of the show. Did it remind you of this? Hallucinate, disintegrate, meditate, alleviate, try not to hate, love your mate, don't suffocate, hold on to your hate. Like, did it remind you of that at all? Oh, yeah, no, no not really. Because <laughs> he's going, he's like, isolation, destination, concentration, alleviation, no explanation, consternation, to liberate, to liberate, like, that's... What, what is that, that from? It's like a British... No, it's uh, in excess. In excess, Australia. Yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah, medit- meditate. Right. You know the music video, right? Where they're pulling out the cards? Yeah, the Bob Dylan thing. Yeah, it's almost like Ed should have the cards on this and, and doing that. But very, very good. Yeah, very good. And it feels like it's coming from a, a deep place, too. One of those moments you wonder what's on Ed's mind at this moment. It might be this, because he's going to go all into this speech right here. And I guess in a show where you got nothing to lose, then you might as well throw it out. They're in D.C., and he wonders aloud if there were any professional lobbyists out there. Many boos are raining down, so I'm going to guess probably not, or they have sweets or some shit like that. Who the hell knows? But some people lobby for good things. However, if you're one of the many or hundreds or, like we read, maybe thousands of lobbyists that are working for Goldman Sachs and the likes, working to lobby our politicians to vote against some kind of financial reform, I'm happy that you have a job in this country where it's not so easy to get one. However, if that is your job and you're lobbying for Goldman Sachs, do us all a favor, and I'm serious, kill yourselves. He tracks back on that. Like, he realizes a little bit. He's getting a little heated. He's like, kill yourselves, save the lives of others, kill yourselves so we don't have to bail you out once again with another $100 billion of tax money. And it kind of goes off a little bit, but he, he does at the end. He's like, okay, maybe I can't condone that. Don't kill yourselves. Just come to your senses, do the right thing, and do something else for a living, we implore you. This is the fixer, fix it. This is not the only cringeworthy thing he says in this show. There's going to be one coming later that I thought was pretty cringeworthy as well, if you know the situation. But yeah, not not a great look. Yeah, I wonder if this is a reference or a kind of an homage to... There's a famous Bill Hicks quote, and Bill Hicks was one of the like, original just out-there comedians, like would just say anything, you know, go out and yell and scream, and absolutely great. I, you know, Bill Hicks had some great stuff back in the like mid to late 80s. But he had a quote that I remember. He's like, if you're in marketing or advertising, kill yourself. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this was Ed kind of making a reference to that, If because that's kind of a famous quote from Bill Hicks. I got to think that he probably knows that. And I wonder if he just got caught up in kind of doing, you know, quote unquote, the bit and then realized like, oh, wait, I can't can't say that on stage in front of 20,000 people and then walked it back a little bit. But I think it's awkward. I mean, he's he's getting worked up and the motivation behind it is good and like true. But he could have gotten away with that in 1993, 1994. But in 2010, you just can't do that. I mean, in 1993, 1994, he wouldn't have walked it back. Right. That's for sure. He would not have walked it back back then. At least he had the wherewithal to say, okay, no, no, don't do that. We can't condone that. So, But the Fixer and Evolution are going to close out your main set here. I'll give a little credit to the Fixer. 
for being the fixer. Not one of my favorite songs, but a pretty decent performance as far as this show goes, of course. And it's one they're playing night in, night out, every single night. There's no question that they can connect on it like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, this is the time to get it, right? The album's a year old or whatever, so it's still fresh in the memory. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. It was a little weird coming off of Black. You talk about you need to follow Black up or something. Like, it felt like Black was maybe pushed up. Usually would have been like an encore song or like the penultimate song instead of the fixer, but weird to get the fixer in between Black and, and an Evolution main set closer. But, you know, sure, it's the newest album. Throw it in there. Why not? Yeah, it's just a buffer. That's all it is. Yeah. It's just a buffer. Yeah. We're closing out with Evolution, of course, and it had great energy. Ed kind of changed and admire my son, admire my clothes. And yeah, it's just a, a good way with a familiar song, with an uplifting song to end out the set. But yeah, again, if, if it didn't feel like as, as big as it should have been to end the main set, it felt like, you know, I was like, okay, you know, do the evolution's going to end the main set. We're going to get to something really big and it's going to be a big moment. And I mean, it, like I said, it was a good version, but it didn't feel like it had the extra power that like a main set closer should have. That's fair. I guess the Hallelujah Chorus was a little like on the lighter side, but I guess the expectation at this point when listening to this is lowered a little bit, but Evolution's never terrible. Let's just put it that way. All right, we're at the Encore here. Let's pause for station identification, get into Patreon stuff and a couple extra stuff. Look, we are coming really close to getting the Love Boat Captain Evolution episode done. It's in the works. We promise it is coming. I know for the last couple weeks we've not mentioned it, but it's still on our minds. I know, yeah, the content on Patreon right now, it's been a little inconsistent, but you know how it comes. It comes all in waves here, and I guess it's one of those things where once we get one or two things up, then we'll start to be doing a lot more, too. I know there's a couple of late night series episodes that we got to get to, and those are pretty easy for us to get done, so I'm sure we'll get to those in a matter of time. But, yeah, Love Boat Captain should be the next thing to look out for. Though I hope you guys really like some surprises that we put out there. Uh, those are some good episodes that, that had happened, like, about a week or two ago. John, was that your favorite Evolution episode you've ever done? Oh, hands down. That's the one I'll go back to when all said and done and be like, you know, this is really what the podcast stood for. How does it remind you of the overall picture of what this band is? Ooh. That's tough. You know, if I if I had a nickel for every time I'd, I'd heard that, I could really go back in and do some damage. But I thought we really got into the essence of what that song was and kind of talked about how it kind of led the band to do some really great things and, and took off from there. I screwed up. I think the song's called Photograph. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> oh, well, know. sorry, guys. I fucked up. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was our prank for April Fools. We've done it for the last couple of years. So if you got a laugh out of that, then I guess mission accomplished. So, but if that was enough to entice you into joining Patreon, then boy, we've done our jobs. We're good for the day. If you want to head over patreon.com slash live on four legs and donate to the show, donating a dollar a month, We'll get you all the bonus leg content, which is everything on the platform, every episode, every time I put out a poll, every time we ask people something, every time we share some free gift, like a couple weeks ago where we shared the preset of the Pittsburgh show in 2000. So you never know when things like that are going to come up. 
And that's all right there for everybody. Everybody will get that content. But if you want to be like some of our other patrons, like Ari that requested this episode today, that is for the Gigaton tier, which is $5 a month. And you do get the special requested episode, which we love because honestly, I don't know how long it would have taken us to get to Bristow if it wasn't a request. You know what I mean? It was never really on our radar. And as much as it seems like we're bagging on, I'm actually really enjoying telling this story because it's different. It's a different vibe to it. So episode wise, very good. We'll see what, where it comes in with the ratings, but we always love these kind of shows, though, not the ones that are like, Oh, let's request Mansfield and let's request the Orpheum and let's request these kind of shows. Like, yeah, we were going to get to those shows, but in episode 227, I don't think that we ever had a plan to get to Bristow, Virginia this quickly. So that's what we love of it. We love kind of the spontaneous aspect of it and going into something that's really not in our forefront. So once again, thank you to Ari for that. And if you want to join on that tier, that is what you get. And even in some situations, we can bring you on to talk about your experience on it. And we also do that for anybody that is a Horizon Leg patron. Coming along with that is a profile episode and also a profile slash executive producer role on the website. And the profile episode is basically you get to tell your Pearl Jam story. You get to talk about your live moments and some of your favorite things. And mostly it's going to be live and we'll have fun with it. We'll do some lightning round stuff. And a lot of that goes back into the funding for our website. So hopefully you guys are interested in that. That really helps us big time. And once again, really working towards putting something else together for people in that tier like a package of goodies or something like that. So slowly but surely, but we're getting there. So keep that in mind. And again, if you want to join Patreon, patreon.com slash live on four legs, or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs, or go to live on four legs.com. There's a button right on every page. that says become a patron. All right. Well, back to the rock. Ed is talking here about what we mentioned before with the PIL at the 930 Club. He mentioned in his shirt he's been wearing a PIL shirt all day. And he says, I've had it since I was 19. But last night, Johnny Lydon and the band were in full form. It was very exciting. And when we met, he didn't try to strangle me or kick me in the testicles. So I was very excited about that. Though, if he had kicked me in the testicles, it would have been easier to sing some of these songs. This one we haven't played yet on this tour. I'm going to try it now. It's going to be the combo, I guess you could say, the more acoustic-y combo of The End and Just Breathe. What do you think about The End? We don't talk about this song very often. And I guess my only thought with this is that it at least like keeps you on your seat and like it keeps you paying attention. Like Ed kind of does have that tendency to grab you with this song, and it's one that just it's dead quiet in the arena. It's just him and the guitar, and there's some sorrowness to it, and it's a pretty guitar sound, so you're kind of attentive, but it's not one of the best songs of theirs. It's the closing track of the album, and you know nothing wrong with it. Maybe a little overproduced on the album. A lot of people have said that, but I've never had a big problem with the song, but always live, you're keyed in on it. Yeah, this is, again, another one that, that came up that 
I don't even remember the last time we talked about it. And then another one that didn't get played at all last year, only you know one time in 2018. I think I'd be into hearing this if I was at a show. Like live, especially. I think it, like you said, it's much better than on the album. I think it suffers from Brendan O'Brien kind of overproducing a little bit, but. I thought it was nice. Like, the album version, I think, can be kind of a downer. A lot of people, I think, don't go back to it because it can be really depressing if you're in a mood. But I think live, he kind of takes it in, like, makes it a little more uplifting and gives it a little more hope with the way he plays it, the way he sings it. So it's a rare one. We hardly ever talk about it. I mean, it, it was cool to hear. And, yeah, I'd love to hear it someday. Yeah, it definitely captures your attention. And if it does that, that means it's, it's done its job. Yeah, very arresting. Now we're going to get into kind of a sweet moment here where Ed says, there's a young man who I met two years ago. It's as long as he's been alive. I think he's home in bed dreaming great dreams. I know that that's going to continue for him. So I just want to dedicate this to a great little guy called Carmine. And it's Just Breathe. That was a really sweet intro to get into that. And once Just Breathe hits, oh boy, this is a flip of the coin in this era because 2009 yeah it's still fresh they're still doing the bass it's pretty consistent but once you get to 2010 especially following the end because it's just ed on acoustic you just don't know but we get in the second verse it's jeff everything is good we don't have to complain about it and that is that yeah my only thing is it was way too low in the mix you could barely tell that that Jeff was playing. I really need that bass to be up front and like driving that, that melody. So following a back-to-back of the backspacer, we're now going to get from all the way at the end of the catalog to all the way at the beginning of the catalog. And we're going to go to 10 songs right in a row here, Garden and Why Go. I think this is probably my favorite section of the night. It just felt like both of these performances were heavy, electric, had some energy behind them. Garden, to me, like they're digging into something real, like forceful. It has a lot of like methodical power in the way that the song had. Like it's not one of these that has this insane solo or everything, but it's very plotting. And it goes along and it, as it keeps going, it kind of keeps you captivated and you're like, oh, Now we're ready for that big, big ending, and and it finished off really, really well. Stone is playing a very heavy guitar on this version, and I think that Garden is one of the highlights of the night. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. A lot of times we talk about we talked about it with Brandon Jay, like it starts out way too fast. They're not going to do that with Garden. It's very deliberate, and I think it really fits the vibe of this show. I thought this was an excellent, excellent choice to put here. Mike was super expressive and kind of fluid on the solo, which is usually reserved for, you know, things like Black and Immortality. Thought it was very, very good. And then Cameron at the end kind of switches up the rhythm and goes like almost to the one, just kind of switches up and hitting that that snare on that beat and gives it again that, like you said, that kind of plotting, kind of heavier feel to it. Yeah, I thought this was really, really good. Maybe the, the performance of the night.
Wygo can't sleep on this version either because this crowd feels like a Pearl Jam crowd in this song. You're looking over for the big call and response moments. You're looking over for the big haze in the beginning. And you got them all. I think you got them all. And there's even a moment where Ed wants to see the people in the back. So he calls out to Keely, give him the lights in the back. And I think that this is another way. It's like I haven't connected with people back there. This is really the one song that's kind of getting them to bounce back into the set a little bit. So it feels like there's a lot of energy. And that crowd, once they kind of lay off, have that moment that why go home? The crowd is all in on it. like a barn burner and it feels like they've finally kind of connected these pieces with the show yeah i feel like why go like this should have been the lead song of the night like we'll open with this play it second yeah. play it third where you know where was this early on in the set i think it benefits from coming off of, of a really good version of garden i thought they got to a good place like still like not one of the like all-time epic crop participation why goes that we've gotten in the 2010s but yeah for this i thought it definitely felt like they were getting warmed up and definitely starting to feel it a little bit but we should have come way earlier all right in between this kind of the wasted reprise bed is under this but ed's saying we're having a great tour having a great time traveling together We've been talking about it lately and just being around each other as a band, all these guys up here, you couldn't have better players, better friends. We're just enjoying being around each other. We're traveling to different places, hanging out in different cities and meeting friends along the way. If we didn't have shows to play, it would feel a little bit strange that the five of us would be getting on a plane to leave our families to go travel the country. That would be strange, but because of your presence here, you give us a purpose and a reason to get to be together. It's so important, and we've been doing it for so long, and the biggest reason is that you've been supporting us, letting us do the things the way we want to do them. We're very grateful for this life experience you gave us, so thank you very much. It, it, that was a that was a nice from-the-heart speech that he had there. Like It really felt like that was something that he'd probably thinking about on the road a little bit on buses and stuff like that, and it's it like, yeah, like life is pretty good right now. The Wasted Reprise bed was going on through that whole speech there, and that's going to get you into Life Wasted. I should say Life Wasted, of course, but it's kind of a crapshoot with the intro. Sometimes it goes into Better Man, sometimes it goes into other things. So usually it's Life Wasted, though. But this is kind of cool. Like, it's a pretty good version and everything like that. But there's this moment where in the bridge, and this is like my absolute favorite part of the song, the part where... He just gets into the line, darkness comes in waves, why invite it to stave and one negativity. And then what he does in this is that it seems like he kind of screws up a lyric, but he makes it in a way where he kind of speaks things in and he's kind of doing this. I understand that comforts energy and he's like really emphasizing that line. I thought that that was that was interesting and I wonder what the idea behind that was. Oh, 
know, life wasted is, again, it should be more than it is. It's always felt like kind of a missed opportunity with me. And I, there were, we had a really good version last year in St. Louis, which I thought, you know, started to live up to what the song should be. But this version, like, it didn't really have the energy behind it that I think the song needs. It was, it was fine. We're going to have one more to close out this encore. And anytime that blood is a closer, especially like after 1996, it feels unique. It feels special. So I guess if you want to say there was another weird thing in the show, this might be it because blood does not get played every night, especially when you get the atomic dog in the bridge. Now, this is, of course, like a 1994, 1995 thing. I mean, going back to 1993 as well, of course. Yeah. But they actually did this a lot more as the song continued to get played in sort of the latter half, which I guess I didn't recognize. I didn't realize that they did that according to live footsteps, which I'm sure there are other versions that just haven't been covered yet, but it says that they do atomic dog nine more times after this version, which is very interesting. The Atomic Dog thing is cool, but again, this felt like we need a Johnny Rotten to come side stage and <laughs> give Ed a swift kick in the nether region to get him to, to hit these notes on this. Blood in the 2010s is there for a reason, and you're not going to get those early 90s performances. Felt like they really got to the Atomic Dog bar quick. You want the insanity and madness of those early the versions. Breathing and the bite. Ones, like that. Yeah, these, these <laughs> ones just... Uh, they don't have it, but I mean, it, you're, you're getting blood, so you're happy, but it just felt a little hollow. Yeah, I, at the end, I kind of thought, okay, they're getting a little wild on it, but it was sort of their way of, like, here's what we used to do, and we're kind of pretending to do what we used to do here. And it's still fun. It's still fun, but this is one that get into the mindset of this song, and that's how it should be done. But look, it's one that's off a very popular record. This is an era where everything is on the table. You know, it's not played every night. They're not going to do it a whole lot in a whole tour. And that's probably why. All right, second encore. Now, this is the other cringe moment here. Ed says, I know it's a long way out of here. It'll be a bit of the drive on the way home. So everybody, please treat each other kindly, as kindly as you treated us tonight. It'll all be fine. And once again, we appreciate your presence. You paid to get in. We're in no position to be asking for favors, but there is a friend of mine, and he and I were talking about some of the things that we'd be doing in the coming year. I mentioned I'd be playing here in D.C. in early May, and he had plans too, but that's before the earthquake hit in Haiti in January. Sean Penn had been down there ever since in the trenches, has gone back home a little bit, but I remember this. I remember him specifically being down there. I remember at the Hartford show him saying the same things. Check out jphaiti.com and all the information on the website. And that's all great. That's doing great work. And I'm sure Sean Penn, as we know, was over in Ukraine and helping them and the refugees over there, which is which is phenomenal. However, this shouldn't have even been brought up because there's some kind of context to this that makes this really poorly timed and poorly worded. So 
He says he's doing great work. And he says, so the context of this song is about an abusive relationship. So I'm not dedicating that part to Sean, just the title. And it's, it's better man. But the way that he said it immediately, I'm just like, Oh no. Oh no. And he's like, he's not purposefully alluding to it, but for those that don't know, there were allegations that Sean Penn had abused Madonna when they were dating in the late eighties. And like a lot of people still kind of hold that against him. Once he had one that kind of sticks with you forever. So that kind of made it poorly worded. And that right away, was just kind of a red flag just hearing all that. I think this falls under Ed's questionable celebrity name dropping. Sometimes he, he just can't help himself. I can't fault him for it. You know, the guy worked at a gas station and now he's he's friends with Bono and Sean Penn and all these famous people. But those things don't always age well. He probably should do less of that. All right. So Better Man, which is the title that this is dedicated to Sean Penn. This is interesting because he gives the crowd the first verse and chorus and it's fine. And, and Ed even comments there, that's activation right there. But... The crowd is all singing in tune when they're doing the chorus, except for one guy. <laughs> one guy who must be right uh-huh. on top of that microphone. Yeah, yeah. Loud, I'm sure very inebriated, and I'm sure he's the guy that thinks he's the one that needs to be heard. Seriously, the rest of them sound like they're just mixed together in sync choir. And this other guy's like, can't find a better man. And where did that come from? It's, uh, oh boy, some people. And look, I'm not one to talk. People saw my live stream in Toronto. <laughs> I know. It's true. true. I admit it. I, I can hold a tune when I want to. I think I was just overexcited that day. A little, little uh, bit. A little bit. But yeah, not a <laughs> at least we have the humor. That's the main thing that I took away from this version. I really couldn't listen to anything after it without hearing that guy's voice screaming along at the beginning. And it's and it's fine. Like there's a pretty good call and response with Puss Saver for later. Again, we talked about during Wigo, you know, bands getting warmed up, crowds getting warmed up. It's it's a fine version, but yeah, that guy just overtakes the whole, the whole performance for me and just you know makes it his own. Yeah, I didn't exactly feel that way, but I also didn't feel like this better man, you know, made quakes in, in the ground. You know what I mean? Like this is this yeah. is fine, and I think maybe in other shows when you get to the encore too, like this really starts to heat up. But yeah, th- this encore too is gonna be fine. You know, I pack all four of the last four songs together from Spin the Black Circle to Alive to Sonic to Ledbetter and there's good stuff in here and I think Alive is probably the highlight if I were to say mm. what would you say? I thought Spin the Black Circle was really really good and I'll, I'll throw that in there as well like the perfect example of what an Encore 2 super fast one should be and a really good time to do I thought Stone and Mike together doing some really interesting stuff on Spin the Black Circle. So that was the the highlight of Encore 2 for me. Yeah, but after that, you know, 
yeah, live feels like the party mode at that point, the celebration of the show. But again, it, it weird here, you know, we talked about, you know, no corduroy, no porch, no rear view mirror here either. Yeah, no porch, no rear view, no baba, no rockin'. It's Sonic, and Sonic yeah. is excellent for what it is. But, like, those are pillars. Those are pillars of shows right there. That kind of gets you through one to the other. John it, Tester's there. That's cool. Yeah, no, that that is cool. Yeah, uh, Alive is dedicated to John Tester. And this makes me think that maybe next year we have a Missoula show because he's up for re-election next year. Yeah, So hopefully. keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. And even, you know, little thing right here, but before Spin a Black Circle, he says, it's the best way to listen to music. And in 2010, Vinyl Boom isn't circulating as much as you think. So Record Store Day hadn't even started yet, right? Or it's just just probably two or three years away from at least being very prominent. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if it weren't for artists like them that always pushed the vinyl releases, I don't know if Record Store Day is a thing. Yeah. Pearl Jam started for me back in 1994. Right. Yeah. If yeah. if, If they don't have that, like, you know, there's nobody out there saying cassette day, like cassette store day. Like, hey, they're, they're, they're this doesn't cassette happen. Day now. No, I, I know cassettes are big now. I know they are. No eight track day. Right. Sorry, eight oh, tracks. Coming someday. No beta video day. Beta max. Yeah. Yeah. Laser, yeah. laser disc day. Right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, digressing here. Yeah, Alive felt like it did have that quality of bringing a crowd together. And it feels like everybody's kind of pushing it. it the War Picks tag at the end sounded very, very good. I was really impressed by that. And Ed even kind of looking out to the crowd, he's saying, look at you, you're all still alive. And that's probably is just like, last like, you guys, yes, we did it. We got through it. Thank you for helping us. And, and thank you for putting something together and, and making this a show. Also, one of the weird things I noticed too, Sonic there were no tambourine tosses or anything like that. So I wonder, and we don't have video for Ledbetter, so mm-hmm. they could easily have done it in Ledbetter, but there was also no between, usually before Ledbetter, it's like, oh, guys, thank you so much. They, you know, it's been a great night and all that, but they just go right into Ledbetter. So it makes me think that there weren't a lot of tambourines flying around. I, I'm probably wrong about that. I'm sure there were, but it Maybe they were, he was afraid they were going to freeze in midair and hurt somebody. Sure, John. Projectiles. Sure. sure. Yes, Mr. Freeze is in the audience, and that's yeah. exactly exactly what he was waiting for. But they're in D.C., so Mike has to finish Ledbetter with the anthem. That's pretty much a statement right there, I'm sure, but that's how they finish this night. That's how everybody goes home. So, all right. Let's get to picking some moments here. I'm going to go number three, why go? Because that brought a lot of energy into a moment where they really needed it. I'm going to go number two, all those yesterdays, because, you know, it was the rare, weird one that everybody was really into, but also a very special performance. And I think Garden's my number one. Garden is the one from this show that I just kind of took me back. I'm like, oh, yeah. This is how I like the song to be played, like very methodical, very paced out, very plotting, and really had that heavy edge to it. I'm going to go black number three, spin the black circle number two, and I'm with you, garden number one. Garden gets the sweep here, everybody. Not too bad. Okay, now we're in the rating aspect here. Remember, 
the times when we do our rating, it is rating a bootleg. So that's partially what goes into the score. It's also what the day was, what the show, what the atmosphere. We can kind of get that from listening to it on the bootleg. But a lot of what the rating skill is, is trying to tell you, is this something that you should be listening to? And I think for this one, like, there are much better shows. There are much better shows that we can give you out of this. Not to say that this is like a piss poor show or anything. We're just kind of sharing the story of what happened on this night and sharing a lot of people's experience from it. So we weren't at the show. I went to the next show. I went to the next couple shows. So I didn't have this one under my belt or anything like that. But you can tell just from listening to it, when you want good versions and great versions of songs, I can recommend you Garden. I can probably recommend you all those yesterdays, but it wouldn't be the first versions of those songs that I would grab out of just finding really good live versions. So I'm going to give this a six and a half. That's where I am with this. Just a little below average, and it had its moments where it dipped, and it, it had some high points too. Like, it's it's not a god-awful show or anything like that, but I think you do lose a little bit of something when the crowd and the band are not on the same page for over half the show. Yeah, I, I agree. And talked about at the beginning how we need those moments and the band needs those moments. And this one, yeah, just didn't have enough of them. And like, this is going to get a low rating, but it's not, obviously, you know, not the fault of anyone there. These are for entertainment right. purposes only. The only reason is because, like I said, those intangibles that you can't control, like they didn't know when they booked a show in Virginia in May that it was going to be cold and that it was going to affect the show. They didn't know that traffic was going to be bad and people might have been late getting in or been in a bad mood or missed the show completely. Those things all affected the show, unfortunately, like that, those things happen. I'm going to give this one a six. Yeah, I mean, there, I probably probably won't go back to this one. And that's nothing against the band here. Yeah, I think... The band was pretty on point. They did what they could do to draw everybody in. And and you know what? They're they're pros, so they did get everybody at the end of the day. It was a good show on that aspect. Like I can see them kind of going back in the tour bus and saying, All right, we salvaged something out of this, but not saying like they would never get the eight man distinction. Yeah, yeah. At all. So all right. N- next week. We are going to start our next phase of the Riot Act Tour coverage here. We're getting into April, and this is where a lot of the heart of leg one happens on the U.S. side. So Denver started off that one, and that's most people know Denver, and there's some of like the middle southern kind of states in there, like Tennessee and North Carolina that happened in, in between a little bit there. And then once you get to the end of April, you kind of finish up in the northeast a little bit with uh, shows in Buffalo, State College, Nassau Coliseum, Albany, and those shows are, are excellent. But unfortunately, we've done or actually, fortunately, and I implore you to go listen to all those episodes. We've done them before. We haven't done Albany, but I'm sure that'll be somewhere in the future. But next week is going to kind of kick that all off by doing a show that I don't know much about. It is West Palm Beach from 2003. It's pretty early in the run, probably like the fifth or sixth show maybe even seventh that they did on that leg. But after that, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you the next two weeks after that champagne 
or any new champagne like that that right there like i won't spoil anything but that that one is going to get very very high praise from me pittsburgh which is very very good as well so like that's our next basically the whole entire april that's how we're going to finish it and really what it all is is our march to and i'm going to steal a line that somebody on twitter gave us but our march to mansfield where we'll be covering all three mansfield shows you know at the end of june early july so there that is excited john oh of course 2003 is great and we haven't done enough of them so it's good to to knock out a bunch of these in a row here but yeah next week's a long road opener seems like we haven't talked about long road in forever either i'm really looking forward to that yeah of course absolutely you know what else is next week a slater kinney tag that's not modern girl yep how about that very cool one of my favorite slater kinney songs same absolutely yeah if you if you want to know more about that you can look at the set list i guess but you can also tune in next week because that's what we'll be talking about. All right. Well, thank you everybody for tuning into this one. And like we say every week, if you want to help out the show, there is Patreon, of course. But if you do want to help out the show in ways that aren't financial, you're more than welcome to do that. It's more than appreciated. And the way that you can do that is by giving us a rating on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And look, I, I hope that we have done the work to deserve the five-star rating. I won't be on my knees begging for it, but I think John and I have been doing this for a long time and we know what we're doing. So if you think that we deserve it, then please head on over to those platforms, give us the five stars. And then on Apple, if you can leave us a comment and just let the people looking for Pearl Jam podcast know what we're all about. What do you get when you listen to Live on Four Legs? What kind of shows? What kind of memories? And that's all the word of mouth thing. So one person sees that, they're like, huh, all right, I'm going to go back and listen to my first show. I'm going to go see if they have my first show on there. If they listen to that, they get back some of the memories, and they're like, okay, all right, this is this is good. And and some people only listen to their shows. Some people like to listen and get to the the history aspect of the thing. Everybody listens differently, but... The whole idea of it is to go back, have people say to their friends once the tour starts up and everything, hey, did you know that they did this show? And somebody will say, oh, I will like to listen to that. So what is it? That's the word of mouth aspect. That's essentially what we try to achieve and strive for. So with that being said... Let's say goodbye on this one. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. John, how out of tune can you get at the end of the show here? Can you match Mr. I need to sound louder than the rest and not join the choir? Can't find a better man.